Hey, it's Jay. I wanted to extend a special thanks to those of you who have listened and left reviews on iTunes for this podcast. Please leave a review if you haven't done so already. We sincerely appreciate it. We're producing this show independently, and unfortunately, that is not free. We have to pay for digital hosting space, software, equipment, websites, and travel out of our own pockets. But we'd love to keep this show going as long as possible. Pledge your support by visiting www.bigbuckregistry.com forward slash pledge. Thanks for your support, and enjoy the show. Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast, powered by Advanced Takedown Tree Stands, episode number 191. Matt Light, football, bow hunting, tree stand therapy, and the School of Belichick. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Today's show is sponsored by Advanced Takedown Tree Stands and Morse's Sporting Goods. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. Hi, this is Barry Wenzel from Brothers of the Bow and Trophy Whitetail Boot Camps. I'm not really sure what a podcast is, but you're about to push play on what is now my favorite podcast, Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. Hi, this is Dan Infold from HuntingBeast.com. You're about to listen to one of my favorite podcasts, Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. This is Laura Zara from Naked and Afraid, and you're about to listen to my favorite podcast, Big Buck Registry. Hey, this is Jay, and I'm just hanging out here in the podcast studios once again, and I'm thinking about you listening on the other side of this device, wherever you are, if you're in your car or you're on your phone. Maybe you're out hunting right now. Maybe you're in a blind somewhere. Maybe you're you're hunting coyote. I don't know, but I'm just glad you're tuning in. And I've got this other fellow on the other line here with me right now on the other mic, Dusty Phillips. What's going on, Dusty? Uh, just, just like you, Jay, hanging out in the studio and uh, getting prepared to record another podcast man you know thanks everybody for tuning in with us week after week absolutely absolutely floored at how many people tune in and i can't thank you enough as usual we are still running our harness program so if you have a harness you'd like to donate to the cause we are fresh out of harnesses they're all spoken for they've all been sent out and i've got some people on the list that are still looking for some so if you are interested in participating in the harness program and you have some spare harnesses left over from your tree stands and you have plenty for yourself already please shoot me an email j at bigbuckregistry.com I do want to remind everybody that I'm going to be down at the Trinity Church in Concord at the Trinity Sportsman's Expo on April 1st, and I'll be down there all day. I'm looking for people to interview, and I'm lining up some spots. We're going to go live pretty much all day as well, but I'm going to be recording everything. But definitely come down. It's going to be a great event, lots of good outdoor stuff. If you're in the New Hampshire area, if you're in the Concord area, come down and check out all the vendors. John Clucky's usually down there. Uh, Morse's Sporting Goods is usually there. Roscoe Blaisdell and his trophy bucks will 
will be down there. So all the good stuff that you ever wanted in the outdoors, Trinity Sportsman's Expo, April 1st. Dusty, where are you going to be? The Hollander Turkey Expo is uh, going on today, and I should be there somewhere around noontime. And uh, I'll be in and out. I'm going to the uh, Beef Expo at the State Fairgrounds along with the Deer and Turkey Expo going on at the same time. That's same cool. place, staying there. That's awesome, man. Very cool. This week's guest is somebody that, uh, if you're a football fan, going back to Purdue University, uh, if you're even back in the high school days, you might have heard of this guy, Matt Light, who is a former professional football player with the New England Patriots. He helped to protect Tom Brady. Turns out Matt's a heck of a good hunter. He's, he loves hunting. I mean, this guy is passionate about hunting. And I had heard through the grapevine that he was a hunter, and I called up uh, the PR firm there and got connected with Matt. And he said, yeah, let's let's do this thing. So Matt tells us his entire life story regarding football, where he's from, how he got into hunting. Then we get into some things about how he transitioned from Ohio to New, New England hunting. Dusty, which you are familiar with because you've done some some of the transition from Ohio to New England. And yeah, for you, sure. you understand, so you can relate. Absolutely. You know, and it's a very unique difference uh, as far as, you know, what the terrain looks like from Ohio to Northeast. And it's quite a major adjustment, you know, mentally, physically, it's all a whole different animal. It is. It is. And, you know, it's a, it's a different style of hunting where you're at. And I had to adjust too. So, but we're going to get into that with Matt in just a, a few minutes. But before we turn to Matt, let's turn to Jim Keller with the Deer News. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Snowmobiler lays claim to 180-inch Illinois buck. This story was originally featured on the Deer and Deer Hunting website and was reported by Carrie Butte. When Caleb Morris of Amboy, Illinois, was launched from his snowmobile on November 20, 2016 after hitting a hard object buried under the 10 inches of recently fallen snow, it was safe to say he was thrown for a loop. Thankfully, Caleb and his snowmobile were no worse for the wear. When he returned home, Caleb relayed his experience to his father, Ron Morris, telling him that he had no idea what he had run over that caused him to go airborne. Five days later, Ron, who owns a septic tank cleaning business, was driving his truck through the same field. The field was private property, and Morris had permission from the landowner to use it. Out of curiosity and concern that someone might get hurt, he drove to the location his son had described. The snow had melted off slightly, but he could still see the snowmobile tracks. As he got closer, he realized that the object was a buck, a big buck. Ron phoned a stunned Caleb and told him about the discovery. They also knew they needed to report their find. In Illinois, the law requires any person who finds a deer killed by any means to contact a conservation officer before taking possession of the carcass. The exception to this is roadkill deer, in which an individual can simply report the animal online and will be given appropriate confirmation number that allows the deer to be legally removed from the location and processed. The salvage tag gave Morris legal rights to possess the deer. He is now the lawful owner to use the deer as he chooses. It's worth mentioning, however, that Illinois law prevents the sale of deer antlers found in this manner. While not official, Morris's buck green scored 180 inches and is currently being mounted at a local taxidermist. Game Commission Releases Deer Harvest Report. This story was originally featured on the DeerFriendly.com website. The following information is from the Pennsylvania Game Commission Report, which was released March 13, 2017. Pennsylvania's buck harvest increased 9%, and the overall deer harvest was up 6% in the 2016-17 season, which closes in January, the Pennsylvania Game Commission reported. Hunters harvested an estimated 333,254 deer in 2016-17, an increase of about 6% compared to the 2015 and 16 harvests of 315,813. Of those, 149,460 deer were antlered deer. 
an increase of about 9% compared to the previous license year, when an estimated 137580 bucks were taken. It's the largest harvest of antlered deer since 2002. Hunters also harvested an estimated 183,794 antlers this year in 2016 and 17, which represents about a 3% increase compared to the 178,233 antlerless deer taken in 2015 and 16. Bow hunters accounted for nearly 33% of the overall deer harvest, taking 109,250 deer, that is 59,550 bucks and 49,700 does, with archery tackle. Meanwhile, 20,409 deer, that's 1,350 bucks and 19,059 does, were harvested during muzzleloader season. The percentage of older bucks in the harvest remained high, with 56% of bucks taken by Pennsylvania hunters during the 2016-17 deer seasons being two and a half years old or older. In 2015 to 16, 59% of bucks in the harvest were two and a half years or older. The antlerless harvest included about 64% adult females, about 20% button bucks, and about 16% doe fawns. The rates are similar to long-term averages. Agency staff currently is working to develop a 2017-18 to 18 antlerless deer license allocation recommendations, which will be considered at the March 28th meeting of the Board of Game Commissioners. Wayne LaRoche, Game Commission Bureau of Wildlife Management Director, said that in addition to harvest data, staff will be looking at deer health measures, forest regeneration, and deer-human conflicts for each WMU as antlerless locations are considered for 2017-18. to 18. Men charged with poaching after a legal Wyoming hunt is featured on television. This story was originally featured on the Oil City News website. The Wyoming Game and Fish Department recently closed a poaching case in Converse County Circuit Court. On March 13, 2017, Ricky J. Mills, 37, and Jimmy G. Duncan, 25, pled no contest to numerous wildlife violations, totaling over $30,000 in fines. Mills and Duncan are from Bedford, Kentucky. The case started up with a tip from a concerned Wyoming citizen who watched the two defendants on a hunting show called Hunting in the Sticks that aired on national television. In the episode, Western Redemption, Mills and Duncan are seen harvesting two bull elk in Wyoming. The concerned citizen noticed that the area they claimed to have killed their elk did not match the area of their licenses. At the conclusion of the investigation, it was determined that in 2014, while deer hunting in Deer Hunt Area 10 in northern Converse County, Mills and Duncan each killed a mature bull elk on private property. Both men also held elk licenses that same year, but the licenses were valid for Elk Hunt Area 51, which is in extreme northwest Wyoming bordering Yellowstone National Park, not for Elk Hunt Area 113, where they shot the elk. Elk Hunt Area 113 is a highly coveted hunt area with very few licenses. In this hunt area, bulls are only allowed to be harvested every other year. It was also discovered that the two defendants attempted to do the same thing in 2013. Other evidence showed that Duncan harvested an antelope buck in September 2013 without a license. The two were also charged with waste of big game animals in connection with the two illegally harvested elk, along with a small game violation. Ricky Mills was sentenced to pay $7,460 in fines, $6,000 in restitution for the bull elk he killed, and $240 in court costs and lost his hunting privileges for 15 years. Mills will be entered into the Wildlife Violator Compact, which will prevent him from hunting and trapping in 43 participating states. Jimmy Duncan was sentenced to pay $7,500 in fines, $6,000 in restitution for the bull elk he killed, $4,000 in restitution for the antelope in 2013, and $240 in court costs. 
He was also suspended for 15 years from hunting and trapping and will be entered into the Wildlife Violator Compact. The elk mounts from both Duncan and Mills were forfeited to the Game and Fish. I believe the two defendants were driven to get kill shot footage for the television show, and that resulted in their making bad decisions, added Mike Ellerbrock, investigative supervisor for the Wyoming Game and Fish. That concludes this week's edition of the Big Buck Registry's Deer News. For links to the stories featured this week, please check our show notes at www.bigbuckregistry.com. If you have any ideas for future topics or have questions about any of these topics, please email me at jim at bigbuckregistry.com. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Thanks to Jim Keller with the Deer News. Without further ado, here's Matt Light. Matt Light, welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. How are you, my friend? So far, so good. So far, so good. That's a good answer because because you know, this is a voyage here, and we don't you don't necessarily know where we're going to take you. Well, listen, and 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 when you don't have anything good to say, you just say what somebody else has said, and, and I've heard that too many times, and I figured it's either that or you know. Uh, I'm, I'm working on something great, and I, I can't say that because I haven't done anything right. good in a number of years. So right. I'm, I'm, I'm hanging in there, my friend. I'm doing well. Very cool. And as a professional athlete, I'm sure you've been in front of the media and the, the, the microphones enough where you kind of have a script to, to read or you memorize the script where you never say anything bad, but you never actually say anything either. Is that correct? Yeah, well, it's the uh, Bill Belichick school of broadcasting, and you uh, – you, you basically only talk about yourself when you have to talk about yourself. And uh, when something gets tough, you just say, well, ask Bill. Ask so Bill, if you ask right. something difficult, I'm just going to tell you to ask Bill. <laughs> All right. You're still, you're still a patriot through and through. Kind of remi- Very nice. It kind of reminds me of the, the, old, the whole Bull Durham scene in the movie where they, they actually go over the, the script that they have to do on the bus. Yeah, well, I... Uh, I tried to tow the company line on a regular basis, but when you did slip up in my world, uh, Belichick had a creative way of uh, calling you out in front of all your teammates. You never wanted to be on, you know, the what we're not looking for uh, highlight reel on a on a Monday morning or any morning for that matter. Right. So I tried to keep it pretty basic, you know. Gotcha. All right, that makes sense. The um, I want to say thank you for for doing the promotion that you did when you were raising some money pre Super Bowl. When you did our the little promo for the Big Buck Registry, it came out real well, and we posted it on our our site. And we drove as many people to the the raffle as we could. Well, we appreciate that, man. That was a great time. I mean, you know, if if you're a football fan or you're somebody that just tunes in for the playoffs, I mean, if if you didn't get your money's worth or your if it wasn't worth your time this year, it, it won't ever be worth your time. I mean, it, it was the greatest playoff run, uh, not not just for Patriot fans, but Really, honestly, the NFL had a great postseason, and obviously what these guys did here in New England was nothing short of incredible, amazing, crazy, you know, best game I've ever seen. So um, for us to be able to capitalize for the Life Foundation and raise some money, um, you know, it was a big win for us as well. And you guys, you know, definitely were a part of that and helping spread the word. And we had some great people that won the uh, opportunity to go down there to Houston and be at the game and take part in all those festivities. And while they probably thought it was a, a worthless trip at about 12 minutes left in the game, they definitely, it was worth their time when it was all said <laughs> that's for sure. What, what was the feeling like on the sideline in that fourth quarter? Man, I tell you, it, for those guys, I mean, you know, I went down to Houston with my wife and we were down there having some fun and, and uh, just to watch that game was incredible. But for those guys, when you're in a moment like that, it's, it's not something that you can, you know, really articulate. You can't, you can't properly describe it. You, you know, you're, 
you're in a moment. It's almost like a, a well, uh, you could almost equate it to times when you're hunting, you know, when you, you just have one of those moments where everything falls in place, you know, mm. uh, it doesn't happen very often. You know, you, you, you can't really, uh, you can go back and kind of relive it in your head, but it's, it's hard to fully describe the feelings and everything else. And those guys, you know, they did the impossible, literally did the impossible. They did what no team has ever done before in, in a lot of different ways. And, you know, for them, I know that, they'll be able to look I mean anytime you win a championship you you can relive those moments for the rest of your life but that one is going to be uh just absolutely incredible when those guys are you know 25 35 years from now it'll be as cool and amazing and exciting as it was you know a month a month or so ago absolutely phenomenal Super Bowl I just you know as half of America was doing at that time sitting somewhere on a couch watching it all unfold and I said to a buddy like you know if anybody can come back from this the Patriots can this is the this is the one team that can probably do that and you know, I just never stopped watching I never never threw on the towel or listened to any of my my buddies sending negative connotations through my head I just kind of I didn't know what would happen, but I didn't count them out. That's the crazy part. Yeah, you know, and I think that that's, you know, as a, as a player that, you know, I never ever looked at, you know, hey, we're, we're done. This is over. I mean, I got a job to do. I'm going to go out there. I don't care if we're down a thousand, you know, we're right. going to go out. We're going to execute at a high level to the highest level that we can. Um, you know, typically when things go bad, you do everything you can to correct it. And yeah, you, you may climb back. I mean, how many times have you watched a game where, I mean, it was just an ugly game. But if you if you only knew the score, you'd say, "Oh wow, that, you know that, that must have been a good game." And right. you talk to the guy the next day, and he's like, "Man, they crushed them." And you're like, "Huh? All right." So as we always said in football, it's never as good as it seems, and it's never as bad as it seems. Um, <laughs> that game encompasses that that whole mentality all in one. You know, on both right. ends of the spectrum, it really does. Absolutely phenomenal game. So you spent some time in New England, obviously, Matt. Where did you grow up, and, and where do you call home now? You know, uh, I, I stayed here in New England uh, for the most part of uh, of every year since I retired. So I spent 11 seasons playing for the Patriots from 2001 to 2012 and, uh, you know, had, had a great time and got to really know the Northeast and took advantage of everything there is to do out here in the Northeast, which is um not the easiest thing to realize when you first get here, but once you're here for a while, it, it definitely grows on you. So I've got four kids and, you know, my wife and I decided this is the best place to uh, keep them and not upset the apple cart there with them and disrupt their education and everything else. So we're still in Foxborough, Mass. And, okay. you know, we love it here and we've been here for, you know, 16 years now and, and it's home for most of the year. But I grew up in Dark County, Ohio, which is, uh, West Central Ohio. I uh, grew up, you know, real close to the Indiana border. Uh, actually, my farm now is uh, right on the Indiana border and just outside the town of Greenville. And man, it's a small farming community like a lot of that area of Ohio is and a lot of tillable ground, a lot of wide open fields, about as good a contrast as you could get from the Northeast. I, I know I know, Dusty's, uh, you know, been, been in my neck of the woods and uh, being an Ohio boy, it's a uh, it's it's it is it's definitely difficult to relate to this part of the country when you first get here because uh, it is like you said I mean the biggest the biggest field we have in New England is a football field I mean you know <laughs> that's true it's so uh, true man. most of the wide open spaces out here you know a, a decent quarterback could chuck it from one end to the other you know you just you just don't have the open space right uh, which is in direct you know 
uh, a contrast to everything that is the Midwest. I mean, our, our woods are postage stamps, you know, they're right. little corridors here and there and, and the hunting along with pretty much everything else, the way of life and the, the pace of life and everything else, it's just, you know, completely different. So, man, I loved it though. I, I grew up in a, in a family that was rooted in the outdoors and I'd never seen a football game until I, you know, I, I had no idea that Purdue, where I ended up playing college football, was in the Big Ten. I had uh, no idea that the New England Patriots were located in Massachusetts. I'd never seen a college or professional football game until I played in them. So um, I didn't grow up, you know, idolizing the game or, you know, uh, looking up to certain players. I played the game of football because I didn't go to jail when I hit somebody. So it was a uh, – <laughs> man, I, I, and I truly love the game. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not discounting it. I learned a lot when I got to New England and, and became a big part of – it became a big part of my life, uh, but you know, growing up where I did, man, it was uh, it was the outdoors, you know, a hundred percent, not ninety percent, but a hundred. And I played football because uh, I like to hit people, and I yeah. threw uh, the discus because they let me go out there and only throw the discus, and then you know, take off and not do anything else. And that that was my sports, man. I mean, that was that was it. I didn't I didn't play basketball. I didn't wrestle because you know that that came at the wrong time of the year. You know, right, right, right. I totally understand. Absolutely. So what, what was the household like and what was, what was high school? And how, what was your daily routine back then? You know what, man, I had a great, I, I, I had a very tight knit family. Um, you know, my, my stories growing up were, you know, being around my dad, who's one of the best storytellers on earth. And, um, you know, he had two, two older brothers and, you know, my uncle Dick, um, was a guy that I looked up to. It was actually my great uncle. He was a big time veterinarian in a small, uh, town much smaller than one I grew up in in New Madison, Ohio. And, um, you know, being down on their farm and the family farms and, you know, bailing a lot of hay and, you know, hard work. And man, I poured concrete growing up. I, you know, I worked for every farmer. My, my, my mom, I think she just, you know, got tired of dealing with me, man. She'd farm me out to work for everybody, but, um, <laughs> but it was great, man. And, you know, my, my, my great grandfather, my grandfather and my uncle, they all wrote the outdoors column in our local paper. Very and, cool. uh, yeah, you know, and, and and just, you know, I can remember my uncle Bob, my dad's oldest brother who was writing a column at the time, you know, he would take me out and then he, you know, we'd do we'd do some hunt, we'd go squirrel hunting or we'd rabbit hunt or we'd go fishing and he would write a story about it and I get to see my name in the paper and you know, it was um it, it was just it was an unbelievable, you know, looking back on it, man, I was very blessed and very fortunate to have, you know, the kind of family and the upbringing that I had and you know, they definitely paid for, you know, my mistakes at times, but they, they never, uh, I guess they never kicked me out completely. So God love them for that. Gotcha. That's fantastic. So but working on farms and we're pouring concrete and that's a, that's a job for a strong person. You cannot be a weak person and do those jobs. So if you're like Dusty, and Dusty's one of the strongest people I ever met, he can pick me up with one arm. And I'm no small guy. I'm, you know, I go 240, but he, he, so did strength come naturally to you growing up or were you one of those late bloomers you know i mean i think i was always able to apply my strength you know i graduated high school at like 220 230 um which you know wasn't overly big i ended up you know playing tight end at purdue for some unknown reason i didn't have an athletic bone in my body but um you know started my true freshman year and then swallowed a couch and ended up being an offensive lineman and weighing <laughs> 320 when i yeah, you know, I put on a basically a hundred pounds in college. So, gotcha. uh, but I would say strength for me was always, you know, I was always good at applying it and using, you know, mechanics and, and technique and all that kind of stuff. And, and I, and I was aggressive, you know, I think that's, 
part of what I see today when I work with young kids, you know, if they've got if they've got ability, that's one thing. But if they know how to apply that ability and they're, you know, they're good at, at, at how they attack the game and they're aggressive, which, you know, unfortunately, we're trying to breed aggression out of, uh, of people in this country because we got numb nuts that are running things. But that's a whole nother topic for another day. But, you know, aggression is good. You just got to apply it in the right direction, you know, and you right. got to have you know good examples. And that's where the game of football really, you know, was a blessing for me. And uh, but yeah, I mean, I, it didn't hurt that, you know, I was outdoors every day and I, you know, I like to pick things up and put them down. Gotcha. All right. Very nice. What was your, what's your first recollection of a hunting experience growing up? I'd say all the small game stuff is what I go to immediately. You know, um, I was I was given the order that, you know, uh, when I was real little that, you know, I can't go around plucking off any 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 old bird. I could take the common sparrow because that sucker, you know, <laughs> came over here on a, on a on a boat and, uh, you know, he didn't deserve, you know, all the space and and what he was eating up. But if I touched any of those other birds, I was in trouble. So I honed my skills like every other young man, you know, with a pellet and BB gun and uh that never ever shot in the same place twice and you know uh grew up doing all the goofy things like that and i can remember at an early age you know the first shot at going out and chasing some squirrels and i got cousins of mine that got some of the best squirrel dogs in the country and i mean running coyotes with dogs and rabbit you know all the small game stuff and predator stuff that was that was really i think and especially for kids i mean i got my kids i mean that that's that's what kept your attention you know and uh always enjoyed that Let's let's talk about football a little bit more. You you played for the New England Patriots, and strength was your friend. And you look sound like you like to be aggressive in high school. What what was the high school football experience like? Well, I honestly couldn't tell you how many games we won, but I, I don't I don't know that maybe we got over the double digits for my entire high school career. Uh, but I, I'm not a hundred percent sure we were. We definitely weren't in the powerhouse category. Okay. Uh, but we had a lot of guys, man, that just, you know, loved to play. And, and uh, man, I, I enjoyed my high school years. I mean, it was, uh, you know, we had some great rivalries with some of the surrounding towns. And, and uh, you know, I had some guys that, shoot, we started playing in peewee football when we were, I mean, I was always a year behind everybody. I graduated at 17. So, you know, I was seven years old, you know, suiting it up. And from seven until I, you know, graduated at 17, man, I had pretty much the same cast of characters around me. So, you know, we have a lot of great memories and a lot of good moments that we shared out there in the field. And probably probably one that I'll never forget, but probably should, is I got ejected from a game and had to drive there with my old man to see the next game. Wasn't allowed to play in it and had to buy a ticket. That was like a low <laughs> a low level in my life, you know, to have to go and sit there and watch my guys. It was the only time I missed a game. So, um, you know, so the aggression wasn't always applied in the right you know, form or direction, but right. – uh, definitely some good memories. Part of your formidable years where you had to learn about life, right? Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Now you were, you went from high school to Purdue and how did that all occur? Did you, what was the the recruiting process like and, and how did you decide to go there? Yeah. I mean, it, it was a, uh, it was a wild time. I mean, to be to be real honest, I had no idea that they would pay for you know I, I didn't know that scholarships existed in sports. I mean, I heard people talk about academic scholarships, and hmm. you know, my sister was an overachiever, and you know, honor society and all that stuff. You know, sure, always getting all the attention. But you no, know, she uh, she definitely got some you know some help when she graduated. She graduated three years ahead of me, but I never understood that you know again because I didn't watch any sports. So 
um, I started receiving letters, had my coach come and tell me, hey, you know, there's some guys talking about you. They were watching tape on some of our rivals and some of the guys that we played against that were real athletic and and, and ended up going on and playing in uh, some various colleges. So, you know, I got lucky and, and, and got a look and they saw my frame and basically said, hey, we could work with that. And, um, it was a it was a very interesting time for me and my family. Again, you know, when I was looking at schools, I had no idea to base it on, you know, how good they were with their sports um, and, and their football program. I was looking at it, you know, purely saying, wow, you know, <laughs> I'm, they're going to pay for my school. Let's 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 get the best we can. And so I went to Purdue uh, based on the fact that, you know, they had a, I had a great visit there. I went to University of Kentucky. Um, that was a fun trip. Went to uh, Penn State. That was a fun trip. You're allowed three official visits, or at least you were back then. And mm-hmm. Purdue was my third. And I really liked the staff. You know, it was a it was a great you know great size. I mean, it's a big university, but it's a smaller town. And um, you know, they, it was an engineering program there. My father's an engineer, and you know, so I just figured you can't go wrong with a school. And you know, the people were nice. And man, uh, it was a ended up being you know a great decision. Gotcha. Very cool. Do you have a, a memory on the football field back in at Purdue that sticks out more than others? Yeah, I mean we we beat Ohio State, and, and, I, and I always love beating Ohio State. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, you know, and it wasn't anything personal because again, I didn't. I always heard about Ohio State and heard all my buddies always talking about it, sure. and definitely uh, ended up on High Street a time or two, uh, which is you know at the library, of course, the the best bar on campus, uh, when I was growing up, somehow managed to get there every now and then. But, um, you know, I, I didn't like Ohio state cause when I was in high school, right before my senior year, I went to a camp there and I, I'll never forget Cooper telling me, well, you know, we like you and you won some awards here at this camp, but you'd have to work a lot harder to make it in this program. And it was a very cocky, you know, I, I'm not that kind of guy, but it was a very cocky kind of in your face, you know, we're, we're the Ohio state. Right. And, uh, it just, it just rubbed me the wrong way. So, you know, when we beat them my senior year and, you know, we ended up going to the Rose Bowl and um, the way we beat them and, and how we came back in that game. And it was a it was a hell of a game. I'll never forget that one. I mean, that was Drew Brees at his finest. That was, you know, that was our team and and the swagger and how we took the field and, and how we attacked that season. It was it was a great year. Very and nice. that was a great game. Yeah, that sounds like a heck of a moment for sure on the football field. Wow. All right, so if if getting recruited to Purdue wasn't crazy enough with for your family, I'm sure being drafted from Purdue to go play in the NFL must have been even crazier. Can you describe that? Yeah, yeah. Well, again, you know, I didn't have a thought in my mind about going and playing in the NFL, and it probably sounds crazy that I'm even saying that. But you know, I I focus on what's right in front of me, and I don't know. I got blinders on. I'm like that horse on a track, you know. Just just keep whipping me, and I'll keep running. But. <laughs> You know, I, I literally, it wasn't until, you know, just before my last year, uh, we were playing in the Outback Bowl of the year before. And, you know, we're down there in Tampa and there's a lot of agents floating around. And I had some guys, you know, they're not supposed to make contact with you, but they always do. And I had some guys tell me all kind of things, come out early, do this, do that. And I'm like, wow, you know, there, there's definitely an interest, you know. So um, when it when it became draft day uh, for me and, and going through the process and at that point having, you know, done the combine and everything else, you know, I knew it was going to happen. I didn't know what to what degree or what round or didn't have a clue on that end of it. But we rented out the local uh, watering hole there on, on Purdue's campus. And we were at the Neon Cactus, man. And it was a good old country bar there. It's one of the best, you know, bar scenes there at, at Purdue. And 
we had it all rented out and, and, uh, there was, you know, I think three or four of us that were drafted, uh, that year. And man, it was a great time. It was one of my, you know, one of my best memories being around all those guys and the seasons that we had at Purdue and, and then, you know, knowing that we were going to continue to play the game of football. And I just graduated in December, got my degree. So, you know, it was a, it was, it was a good way to close one door and walk in through another one and, and get an opportunity to do, you know, what I love doing. Gotcha. And when you heard your name being called, what, what, were, what thoughts ran through your head? Yeah, I mean, I was on the phone with uh, Scott Pioli, who is the director of player personnel here in New England and, and just a phenomenal person. And, you know, he's telling me, hey, we're getting ready to, you know, we're, you're going to see your name come across the screen. And he also was the guy that told me to hang up with the Jets who were on the other line. And uh, I, I didn't know what that rivalry was. I had no idea that they didn't like each other. You know, I, I was oblivious to all of it. So I'm like, all right, you know, I guess you're going to take me. So, man, it was, uh, it, it was. Um, I, I'll never forget my buddy coming up to me and telling me what the guy that got drafted the year before made at my pick. And uh, I remember thinking that can't be right. You know, there's these people are idiots if they're going to pay me that much. So, you know, I, I've been fortunate, man. I've been blessed in every way. And and like I said, it, it's. Uh, it was nothing, never something that I, I thought would happen or, or look forward to happening or, you know, any of that stuff. It just something that happened. And, um, man, I'm, I'm damn thankful. And I, I ended up in a pretty damn good spot too. Right. Definitely. Well, what was it like meeting the team or the, or even Belichick for the first time walking on to for day one, what was day one like? Yeah. Day one was crazy. I mean, we, you know, Foxborough's come so far and, you know, in so many ways, you know, from a sports standpoint to um, just a, a way of life and the town itself. And I remember getting to Foxborough and thinking, man, this can't be what an NFL team is all about. I mean, the, the old Foxborough Stadium was worse than a lot of the I mean, shoot, Dusty, you know what the schools are like in Ohio that worship football. Oh, yeah. Those stadiums in Ohio for a lot of high school teams were far, far better than what we had in Foxborough in 2001 <laughs> right right so you know when i got here i'm staying at the end zone motel it's like where every trucker stops you know and <laughs> you know what whatever uh women of the night you know were, were in the area definitely swung through there i mean it was it was just a dark nasty place and it was it was strange i mean you know i remember meeting bledsoe for the first time and and being around some of the other guys and the willie mcginnis of the world and all the guys that were here at that time and just thinking man I got a lot of work to do because I don't look like them and I don't, I don't move like they, you know, I had a, <laughs> I had an uphill battle, but you know, I was in some ways fortunate because I got thrown into the fire and Bruce Armstrong had just retired and heck he was here for 13, 14 seasons, whatever it was, was a, you know, he anchored the, the left tackle position for forever and uh, was an incredible player. And, you know, I, I had to fill his shoes and, and uh, you know, I kind of had to learn on the fly and man, it ended up being Ended up being a great way to to enter the league, you know. Yeah. yeah if, I, if I if my research is correct, you played like 155 games and started 153. Something like that. Yeah. You know, I mean, I had I've had 15 major surgeries and uh, none of them were easy. And I guess they most of them came in the off season. So I didn't I didn't miss too much, which was nice. So um, yeah, and they, and they they were fun games too. I mean, they weren't all you know. We don't celebrate a whole lot in New England if you've ever seen a press conference with our head coach, but you know. <laughs> We did have fun. Gotcha. So the I I went to a few games in the eighties uh, to the old uh, was it Schaefer Stadium at the time, and it, it was rough. It, I, I understand what you're saying. It was rough sitting through the game. It wasn't that comfortable. Uh, it smelled like bad 
stale beer most of the time. And and not not that it doesn't have a, a unique aroma now, but it was definitely, you know, that old 70s feel going all the way through the 80s. And if it weren't, I mean, the Squish the Fish year was great, even though, you know, they faced the dominant Bears in the Super Bowl. It was... I always had good memories going with my dad, but it, it, the team just wasn't there. I mean, we, if we made the playoffs, we were excited, basically, for years and years and years. And then uh, the, the, your first year there, I was actually at the Super Bowl in in uh, New Orleans and saw that all go down. And it was just blew my mind. Like, we actually won. How did we do that? After that first year, what was the mentality at that point? Was there an expectation to do better and win constantly from then on or was it just do your work do your job as we see, we hear constantly on the media well i mean the, the expectations never change i mean you know from one season to the next you know we had as good a continuity as there's probably ever been in a national football league in terms of coaching uh staff and and you know personnel folks and obviously ownership uh, has has been the same for quite some time and and uh when you have a situation like that uh, and you've got a group that's that committed to doing the job that they have to do and they and they don't ever take a day off i mean your goals are always the same you know to go to and win the super bowl and 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 how you do it changes um, from one season to the next it changes from one week to the next depending on who's up and who's down and how things are going and who you're playing against and how you're game planning and all those things but um, you know our expectations were always very very high and and new england is a place that if you're a free agent, um, again, I never experienced that and was fortunate enough to spend my whole career here. But if you came in from off the street or you were a guy that had been in another organization, uh, you figured it out pretty quickly that you're going to be called upon to do a lot. And it was probably going to be a lot more than what you did elsewhere. And you had to do it every time that you got out there, whether it was practice or in a game, and they were going to hold you accountable. Um, and it wasn't going to be an easy place to play. But if you did those things, you were guaranteed a chance to win. And that may not sound like a whole lot, but there's a lot of teams that know going into every contest, they don't have much of a chance to win. Right. Gotcha. What was your biggest lesson that you learned uh, about life playing under that program? Oh, man, a little bit of everything. You know, I think uh, I think one of the things, though, that has always stuck with me and is more was more apparent as I got older um, and definitely in retirement uh, is ringing true is the fact that, you know, you got to have pain uh, in life. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, if you look at the opposite of the spectrum, you take somebody that, you know, hasn't put a whole lot of work into things, you know, whether it's their work life, personal life, you know, whatever it may be, um, you know, they, they don't they don't do the uh, the little things right. They don't put the attention to detail into all the things that 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 need it. Right. People that have never a- achieved and you don't have to achieve a Super Bowl, but, you know, you, you got to be able to lead your family or you know, lead your own life or lead your, you know, work group or something. If you've never done those things, it's probably because you never experienced pain. We got too many people to live, you know, on easy street in terms of, you know, look, they're, they're not held accountable. They're spoon fed, you know, a lot of misinformation and they really don't care to, to get up and, and, and do things the hard way. And because of that, they, they've never fallen flat and they've never had to pick themselves up. They've never had to work through adversity. I mean, if you had to rehab an injury, and come back from it and 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 throw yourself right back in the fire, you learn something about yourself. And I think that that's the lesson that football especially, but sports in general, um, has taught me in my life. I know that if I never did those things, I would have never, more than likely would have never, you know, realized 
what we're all really capable of. And the truth is we all have it, you know, and, and that's the beauty of it all. But uh, you, you can't talk yourself into it. You kind of got to live it. Right. Gotcha. What was your high point playing for the, the Patriots? Uh, post-surgery with some oxy. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, I only say that because I, I, I'm about a week post-surgery from my third shoulder, well, my fourth shoulder surgery. Oh, wow. And only reason I had it operated on because I got to be able to pull my bow. But um, <laughs> the, That's uh, important, man. Yeah, they, we got to have priorities. You, you, you damn straight you do. But, uh, and don't mess with those. I, I tell you what, you get a surgery, just tell them you don't want nothing. Deal with the pain. It's a hell of a lot better than that junk. So, right. um, uh, you know, my, I, I don't, I don't know what my, my, my best moment was as a player. How about a, a low point? Was there a time when you felt like things were just collapsing around you? Yeah. Uh, well, you, when, when you're coming back from some of those, you know, I, I, I I talk a lot about injuries. I, you know, I've had a lot and uh, had to battle a lot of things. And you know, you, you learn a lot about yourself, and you got to do those things for sure. And and uh, man, there, there were some dark moments. You know, coming back from things and wondering if I could come back. And you know, I've, I've suffered from some other stuff. You know, Crohn's disease and this, that, and the other. And that's not an easy thing to mm. to have for anybody. And, and definitely, when you're playing, it makes things a little bit trickier. And uh, you know, so yeah. But you know, uh, man, I'm, I, I, I guess I look back on it and I say that you know. Uh, for all those, for all the tough moments, you know, they, they were all worth it. Right. right. And, and, uh, and I'll, I'll never be able to, uh, I'll never be able to duplicate those experiences that I had. So they're, you know, they're life changing. And, and for me, the, really the, the, the highest moments in playing the game of football were really the, the things that happened off the field with some of the, some of the best teammates that any guy could ever ask for. And I played with some of the best that have ever played the game, you know, and right. Right. You know, guys like junior Seau, you know, who, you know, he's no longer with us and, and, uh, you know, we all missed the hell out of him, but he was, uh, he was, he was a, he was a legit one of a kind, you know, and, and there was a lot of guys like him that I was fortunate enough to be around. Gotcha. Yep. Very cool. All right. Let's talk about Tom Brady for a second. How, how does he keep going? I mean, he's, how old is he now? He's going to be getting into close to 40, right? Oh yeah. He'll be 40 here pretty soon. How, how does he keep going with the longevity that he does? He talks about his diet. Uh, but I, I would think that it has something to do with the great protection he got from some of his teammates along the along the way. Yeah, I mean, look, what we're going to keep it real to start with here. Uh, if a guy got hit an average of five times a game, I would say that that's probably fair. Yeah. Right. So I've gotten hit by five different people on one play. So <laughs> it's, I, it's I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that. But I will. I will say this. So so number one, quarterbacks can do what quarterbacks do. Right. Right. Uh, they're, they're the they're the only player on the field. If if you're running the offense the right way, that can literally do what they do. Right. So if you do have some decent protection, it's, ne- it's never going to be perfect. It never is perfect. But if, if all things are equal um, and, and you got a good program, you got a good offense, uh, they should be able to do that for quite a while. That said, I've seen that guy play through things that most of my teammates wouldn't play through. So he is a tough SOB and you got to love him for that. And he is uh, he's obsessed with, you know, his career and, and in a great way. I mean, but he is truly a, a football guy through and through uh, in, in every way. So that doesn't happen very often. I mean, you can have a guy that loves playing the game because he loves to run into a wall. You can have a guy that loves to play the game because he loves the matchups and the, you know, the chess match and, and everything that is strategic about it. You can have a lot of guys that play the game for a lot of reasons. This guy plays them for all the reasons. Right. Gotcha. D- did he ever take you out to dinner? for doing such a great job in a, in a game or two or a season. Oh yeah. Yeah, for all sure. The, all the time. Right. 
Yeah, we had, yeah, we had, yeah, we shared a lot of good, you know, meals and, uh, and, and his credit card always went through. So we were pretty, <laughs> pretty happy about that one. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, just a phenomenal career, uh, playing with the Patriots and, uh, you're, you're, I mean, I was trying to explain to my, my son today and we were talking about all the trades that have happened over the last couple of weeks here and spe- specifically in the Patriots. And I was trying to explain to him that the, why you know, he wanted to understand why are we losing potentially some of the players that have been here for a few of the Super Bowls? And I said you have to understand like you have a small window uh, in life um, to play at a at a very high level and you never know what's going to happen next. You don't know if you're going to feel an injury. You don't know if that injury might cause you to not be able to play any further. And because of that. There's this thing called free agency, and you have to take that opportunity. As much as you love that player, as much as you want that player to come back as a fan, you, as a player, you have to take advantage of that opportunity because you don't know if that opportunity is going to be around for a very long time. Ten years is a long time, so you have to make your money when you can. And then it kind of clicked in his head. But you, I mean, you had a fantastic career. You were there for for ten years uh, and played on some of the best teams in super or in uh, NFL history. Really? Yeah, and 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 I'm 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 not going to correct you ever again, but it was eleven, just because because okay. the, the last one the last one hurt. Um, but I'm just kidding. No, gotcha. but it was yeah, man. I, yeah, I was again. I mean, um, I, I would have never written the script the way it ended up playing out, right. and to to have had that time in my life and for my family, you know, uh, man, my you did not see a TV on much of my home. Um, and if it was, it sure as heck wasn't on football. Um, but now, my, you know, they're like football junkies. You know, they know they know more about the damn game than I do. I can tell you that. <laughs> right. Much. right. Um, so it, it's it's really changed all of our lives, and and uh, and it's afforded me things that I never thought possible. And and uh, you know, I, I, hey, I'm the luckiest guy in the world for that. I apologize for for not doing my math correctly. You're absolutely correct. <laughs> he, did, he did play for eleven years, not ten. <laughs> Gotcha. Um, let's 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 talk a little bit about your your post career, uh, your your post football career. You retired from the from the NFL and, and the Patriots, and now you've got some other things going on in your life. So, what happens in a life after football? What what did you decide you wanted to do? Well, um, you know, a lot. I, you, I, play, playing the game, you get so many opportunities to meet so many interesting people, and and. Uh, you know, for me, uh, not not being a football guy, um, when I left the stadium, uh, of course, you got to remember we were there from six a.m. until at least six p.m., if not eight p.m. on mon- uh, on Wednesdays and Thursdays. I mean, those were heavy days for us. Um, so you're consumed by the game when you're playing it and when you're there. But when I wasn't in a stadium, I never thought about football. So I've always been able to compartmentalize, and and in the off season, I try to cram everything in that I possibly could, and uh, you know, they, the NFL had some great program and they, they would pay for you to go to school and further your education. And I took advantage of all that stuff. And, you know, uh, you know, ne- never walked back into the engineering realm, um, but definitely was able to take some business courses and figured out that, I, you know, I really enjoyed doing certain things and made some great contacts and developed a network. And so by the time, you know, I got to my 10th season, uh, you know, I was a, on the executive committee and a player rep and you know, working with the union and trying to figure some things out and trying to get a new collective bargaining agreement done. And I'm sitting there working on it. And I was fully, I I was, I was done after 10 years, but there's two things that happened. One, I had to go to all these damn meetings for this CBA and trying to get this lockout taken care of. And I figured, (laughs) well, 
I wasted so much of my time. And I got a great story about that that we can talk about later, but I wasted so much of my time, you know, you know, trying to work through this thing that I might as well come back and take advantage of some of the new rules, which I sound like the guy that talks about going to school uphill both ways in his socks. But I mean, hell, if, if, if the game was played in 2001, the way it was in 2011 and is played today still, mm-hmm. I could play for a hundred years. But that said, I mean, it's a cakewalk today. There is no such thing as two-a-days. You do not put pads on twice in one day, period. You don't hit two days in a row. It's the it's the easiest cakewalk on earth. But I figured I fought through all that. We got that accomplished. I might as well go back and play. And the overwhelming thing was there was this guy. He's about six foot seven, ran like a deer, and, and was the most fun person on earth. And his name's Rob, they're all, they're all numb nuts and they're all out of their minds, but the Gronkowskis, yes. <laughs> you know, have brought joy to many people's lives. And, you know, whether it's Gordy or Dan or Rob, I mean, you know, Gordy senior, those guys are all amazing people. So I had to come back and play with Rob, you know, one more year. And, uh, I was glad I did. And it ended up being a great season. <laughs> He looks like he's he's just full of energy. Uh, we don't obviously don't get to see as much of the players as the players do, but it, just from afar through the media, looks like he'd be a good time. Like just kind of hanging out and always laughing. That doesn't get any better. Yeah, it's 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 full tilt. Gotcha. Tell me about the Matt Light Foundation and when did that come into play into your life and why did you decide to start that? Yeah, you know, again, you know, going back to my family and 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 growing up, and you know, my grandmother used to tell me I may be the only person that loves you right now, but at least you know one of a one of us has got your back, and to whom much is given, much is required, and you know, all those kind of lessons that I grew up with when I got drafted, you know, it was an overwhelming sense of you know just disbelief. I mean, I, I it, it was it was almost too much. So I just you know I remember sitting down, you know, talking to my wife, talking to my parents and everybody else, and you know, we decided to form you know, the Light Foundation in 2001, uh, just after my, you know, my, my draft and all that stuff. And we put the wheels in motion then. And, and we didn't have a clear objective in terms of, you know, um, how we were going to do what we were going to do. But we knew we wanted to do things to give back and to be a part of the communities in which I played or grew up. And, you know, so it started out as kind of a throughway. We'd host an event, we'd raise some money, and we'd find a worthy nonprofit. But I quickly realized that you know, how some people did things wasn't on par with how I felt like they should be done. And maybe there were times that we gave money and the expectations weren't met, you know, on our end and in terms of what we thought they were going to do with this. So after about three or four years, we decided to, you know, create our own programming and put our own facility together. And, and where we are today, you know, is, is, is just really, it's, it's the ultimate high life and highlight in my life. And, and, uh, you know, we're sitting on close to 600 acres and we got an outdoor camp for kids where we go through, you know, team building and life lessons and leadership skills. And we have fun through, you know, other various events, whether it's football camps or scholarship programs. I mean, you name it, we do it. And, uh, you know, this past year we had close to 5,000 kids go through Chinnawith Trails, which is our facility, wow. you know, right there on the Indiana border, uh, just down dusty from winter's meets and, uh, you know. <laughs> We got a, we got a great thing going in terms of you know we've got the best staff in the world we've got you know some amazing uh, kids that have come through our programs and we've got unbelievable volunteers and 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 really look you know there's a lot of things that we do at the end of the day um, you know we 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 really enjoy working with young people and there's a lot of kids in this world that you know need somebody just stop and talk to them you know and 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 tell them hey man you're screwing up and and hold them accountable and push them to do things you know. Um, 
outside their comfort zone and and just lend an ear, you know, and and uh, and that's what we do. And, and like I said, man, we we got incredible staff. It's it's a little overwhelming to try to get into because we got a lot of different buckets that we fill within the foundation. But um, at mattlight72.com, which sounds really self-serving, but you know these marketing people say you got to do stuff like that. But if you go to that website, um, there's a ton of information, man. And we got a youth wild turkey hunt coming up here in April that we've been doing now for a long time, and I can't wait for that. We got. Um, you know, our, our leadership camps coming up. We got leadership conferences. I mean, we, we do a lot throughout the year and, and, uh, it's, it's always fun. It's always exciting. Gotcha. What are some of the profiles of the kids that, that you help out? Well, you know, in the programs that I'm, you know, that, that we've had the longest and that I love the most, I mean, they're all great. Don't get me wrong, but there's some that I get involved with, you know, um, from start to finish and, 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 uh, and in those programs, the real meat and potatoes and, 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 and the kind of kids that we work with are the kids that, uh, and again, I'm not a clinician. I didn't go to school for this, but I call them knuckleheads because uh, I was one and I know how to clearly define that. I know what it looks like and I know what it sounds like. So, um, you know, they're the kid that I said, man, they may have set the house on fire, but they didn't burn it all the way down. You know, yeah. so uh, I, I don't want I don't want the kid that wants the, the house to burn. Um, you know, they, they, they need more help than I can give them. But. I want that one that the teacher says, you know, you know, Johnny's Johnny's been making a lot of bad mistakes. He's got a lot of ground to make up, um, but he's not a bad kid. He just needs some guidance. You know, those yeah. are the kind of kids we work with. A lot of those kids are inner city kids from single parent, you know, homes that, you know, they just and, and, and unfortunately, they just don't have people around them in their lives that hold them accountable and can push them to do some of the things that they're highly capable of. Gotcha. All right. Very, very nice. And tell me about this fundraiser coming up called Fool's Night Out. What's that all about? Well, we're, we're celebrating the greatest holiday um, of the year. And uh, I've, uh, I've always been a bit of a practical joker, although, you know, I get blamed for a lot of things I didn't do um, or that haven't been proven. And uh, we, we have this event coming up on April Fool's Day, which is April the 1st. Okay. Yes, I mean, sir. It's, yes, it is. It's the, the, like I said, best holiday on earth. Um, and, and we bring in all these comedians. I mean, some of the best comedians you'll ever hear. And, and of course, Boston area, the new England area is just rich in, yes. in, in comedy, you know, some of the best comics on earth, you know, right. have come from this area. So we have an all-star lineup every year. And then I'll mix in some, some shenanigans that took place in the locker room or some film or some stuff that we've done and, you know, pulling some pranks and this, that, and the other. So, um, it's a great event. We, you know, all the money goes into the Life Foundation, and we do it right next to the stadium at Showcase Live. And man, it's a it's a fun event. April first, and uh, if you're in the New England area, or you want to fly in to Saturday this year, which is great. So it's going to be a be a heck of a night. That sounds like a good time, definitely. And you're right; there are a lot of comedians in New England, that's for sure, and professional ones too. So that's that's nice. So Matt, when I I had heard through the grapevine that you were a hunter, and I I decided to do a Google search for you one time. And I came across your firm that handles a lot of your uh, media connections. And I talked to a, a nice lady by the name of Amanda. And I said to Amanda, I said, Hey, I hear Matt's a hunter. And, and she goes, Oh yes. Oh yes. He's a hunter. He hunts every day and, said, and he hunts everything all the time. So I said, well, that sounds like our kind of guy that we want to have on our show. So the, I said, I reached out and you said, absolutely. We'd, we'd love to join you. And we did some of the raffle stuff, but I'd like to transition into some hunting now. We've learned a lot about you, but I want to hear about your hunting. Uh, I want to figure out where you hunt, how you hunt, what skills you've adapted. Clearly, you've come, you know, there's a, there's a style of hunting in Ohio that might not be applicable in New England where you 
it sounds like you do a lot of your hunting now, but I would imagine you, you get out into some of the other places. Let's go through some of your, your hunting stuff. Sounds good. I'm going to get into just how you transition from hunting Ohio to New Hampshire, Matt, just, just because I've been to New Hampshire on three hunts now for about a week at a time. And, and you know, turkey season's phenomenal in New Hampshire, and, and it, but it's a different animal versus Ohio. So what, what do you do to adjust when you go from, from hunting the, the field edges to the, to the small timber, from, from that to the big woods? What, what was your biggest adjustment there? You know, uh, I, I understand it. I mean, it, and specifically, you know, whitetails, which, you know, I, I hear it all the time and, and I'm, I'm open to anything, but, um, definitely the, the toughest animal on earth to hunt. Right. I mean, I'd say that's arguable, but there's been too many people that are far more intelligent than me in the outdoors that have said it for a lot of years now, going back to Fred bear and you can name all the rest of them. But, um, if you use that as the baseline, uh, when we're talking about hunting a certain area, there, there is a real learning curve going from the Midwest to probably anywhere else that that's not Midwest related. Right. Um, and, and coming to the Northeast, the thing that is is extremely frustrating is figuring out how to pattern or understanding that there is a lack of pattern uh, based on your 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 previous knowledge uh, in the Midwest on deer here in the Northeast. It just doesn't it, it doesn't happen um, much like it did in Ohio in the Northeast. So that was a very difficult transition. But I, I would say this that you know I relied a hundred percent almost in the in the early years on the people that grew up here, you know, and that's, that, that's how I learned to, to figure things out in this area. Yeah, that makes completely sense. Now, let me ask you about the navigation part of it. You know, I, I'm pretty savvy in Ohio woods, but, but Ohio woods is nothing compared to the Northeast. Uh, as far as being knowledgeable about direction and, and where you've traveled and, and how far you've gone and, and getting back to the truck, is that something you ran into trouble when you got out there as far as the navigation part of it? Yeah, and it started out driving on a damn highways. I mean, you're on 465 North going straight east for like 60 miles. I mean, it, <laughs> it's the damnedest thing I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it, you know, everything's a cart path. Everything is, is uh, you know, y- you head every direction like 100 times, but you're only going one direction. It did, you know, it, it's it's definitely confusing. Um, I would say this though, I, it, the, the one time that I damn near gave up and just said, screw it, I'm sleeping and I'll wake up and figure it out tomorrow was down in Kentucky. You get down to some of those draws and some of those, you know, damn valleys that you drop into and those fingers and all that stuff, man. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it, it's very confusing when you get to the Northeast, when you try to figure things out in the, in the, and, and there's big timber, you know, there's, there's big, big sections of woods and, um, you know, you got bogs, you got a little bit of everything out here, which is not what I expected, but it's something that I've come to really appreciate. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree with that comment, uh, anymore there that it's amazing. Uh, you know, one for how beautiful the, the Northeast is that, that's, it's phenomenal scenery. Uh, you know, coming from Ohio, when we talk about big bucks here versus big bucks there, what did you have to adjust mentally to to prep yourself to be able to to shoot a hundred and thirty inch deer, hundred forty inch deer as a trophy whitetail? Well, uh, you know, look, um, you got you know, for me, the last five years is is a different chapter um, since I retired. Um, when I played, I would literally go. I mean, I can remember getting home at four in the morning from a Monday night game in Miami, you know, and Bill would allow me to get in my car, which 
never happened at the airport because I'd have somebody take my car down there and I'd go from the airport because uh, I because I told him I, I needed it for therapy. Um, but I'd go directly from the airport to the tree stand, get there, you know, just before sun up, and you know, I'd be falling asleep, dying, you know, all stiff and beat up from the day before, the night before, and you know, that would be my one time I got to hunt. I mean, we only had one off day, and, and there was no time to ever be in a stand outside that. So my opportunities were very few between during most of my, you know, all of my career here in New England. But, um, you know, when you, when you talk about hunting big deer out here, I mean, the thing you got to remember is the, the density, you know, the deer density, um, I, and I don't care where you're at. There are places where it's definitely higher, um, but for the most part, you're, you really got to get on some good, um, good ground and get kind of lucky to gobble up some areas where you can really hunt it, you know? Um, and you got to put your time in like you do everything else, but you got to be prepared to just not see a whole lot. And the rut is a little bit different, um, in terms of, you know, kind of, I mean, these dudes will cover some ground now. I mean, you know, I feel like on my farm in Ohio that I can kind of, you know, once you get these deer pattern and once you can kind of get a, an idea of what some of these dudes are doing, you know, four out of, you know, I don't know, four, four out of 10, maybe you may get a glimpse on him. He may not be within shooting distance, but you're probably going to see his ass, you know, but that doesn't happen out here, man. These acorns fall on every square inch of this ground. You know, there's browse everywhere you look, you know, whenever you're trying to hunt these suckers, unless it's late season and they do not do a lot of times what you think they're going to do. How long did it take you to figure out that, uh, the deer movement and activity is completely different from, from Ohio. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say, I, I would say this, that, um, my morning hunts in the Northeast are a heck of a lot better than what I experienced back home. And, but you know what though, I, I look at deer movement and deer activity. And I say that, man, it, it's it, while, while you, you hear a lot of the same, I, I I'm not convinced yet that there's a, you know, that there's a, I, I think it's just based on you, you know, like, like some guys are lucky, some guys aren't, you know what I mean? Like, but it definitely, it's definitely different out here. I know for a fact that my morning hunts here in the Northeast are a heck of a lot better than anything I would have in Ohio. Gotcha. And you think that plays a role because of the the browse and the, the food that's there available in, in all directions? Yeah. And I, and I think that the amount of cover that they've got in areas that allows them to kind of, you know, maybe, maybe feel a little bit more secure or maybe, you know, their, their, their travel corridors, they can duck in and out so well. And, you know, if you do bump some deer, you know, they, they kind of feel a little bit more comfortable to come walking through an area because it's, you know, they've got so many travel. I, I, you know, I think there's a lot of things that go into it, but, um, you know, again, I would say this though, there are some really, really good deer in the Northeast. You just, you know, you're just not going to see the same number of course. Right. Oh yeah, for sure. The, the numbers are not there. So let's get into a little bit about uh, what's your your favorite hunting style? Is it bow hunting, gun hunting? What do what do you prefer to hunt with? You know, I, I have never um, gotten much satisfaction uh, with anything other than my bow. Um, you know, I don't I don't get I don't I don't get nearly as wound up even with a crossbow. You know, it's um, for me. You know, I'm I'm gonna take stick and string ninety nine out of a hundred times and. You know, there, there have been a few times where I've fallen guilty to, you know, grabbing the smoke pole or, man, very, very rarely, you know, a shotgun. But um, I just don't hunt those. I mean, I hunt those seasons. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I don't hunt, you know, with anything other than my bow if I can if I can help it. Gotcha. And what kind of bow are you shooting, Matt? Man, I've, I've been a Matthews guy, you know. That was uh, that was my that was actually my first purchase when, uh, when I signed my deal. Actually, I hadn't even signed my deal yet. But my agent 
you know, told me, Hey man, if you need a few dollars, you know, I'm not going to charge you nothing for it. And of course <laughs> that sounded good to me. So I, I went to old English. I don't know if Dusty's ever been there or not, but Absolutely. yeah, buddy went to old English, picked up my first, um, I think it was a conquest XL or some, you know, I don't know. I've got so many damn Matthews now, but, um, man, they've, they've been great partners, you know, for, for me personally and the foundation and, you know, um, you know, of course, Buck Commander, the whole night. I mean, they—they're they, an incredible company, and they, there's a lot of good bow companies out there. But I'll tell you, man, those those guys are phenomenal. Um, I'm actually shooting the uh, the no cam right now, which has been kind of fun for the last season or two to uh, test that sucker out. But and I love every bow. I've got the Liberty bow. It's a little 20 inch axle to axle. Damn things are half an inch from touching when I'm at full draw. I got a 33 and a half inch draw, so I shoot a lot of traditional. I never put sights on a bow. I I shot purely instinctive. Uh, until I got my Matthews at age 22. So my dad's a bowyer, you know, he can cut a stave and go out and carve up a bow and have you shooting in a day, you know, does all of his own footed shafts is, you know, makes all of his, you know, Port Orford cedar and, you know, all that. I mean, I grew up and luckily I, I, I can't do any of that stuff worth a damn, but they can, and they do. And, you know, I've been blessed to be able to, you know, fling a lot of arrows in a lot of cool ways. Right. Very cool. What, what kind of arrows are you shooting out of your Matthews? <laughs> You know, contractually at times, uh, Easton, of course, but you know, I've had carbon express, you know, I've, I've been shooting those for a lot. I mean, again, it, I don't think there's any, and, and if you looked at my quiver at times, people get sick when they see it. I may have three different brands, <laughs> but, but I put a number on every one of them suckers. And if it says number one, it will be effective. You know, I may not, <laughs> yeah. I may not find every one of them, but if it's got a number one on it, it's pretty damn good. Right, right on. Yeah. Any particular yeah. broadhead you like to tip your arrow with? You know, um, yeah. Uh, if and again, there's so many, but I've had some really good success with the G5. You know, Montex got. You know, I've had a lot of great success with them and with the Muzzies for a long time, and so I would put both of those in a category of you know, always feel comfortable. Always feel like I can get it done, and I say that from the standpoint of all-around broadhead. In terms of turkey, deer, small game, whatever it is, man, I cannot change. I don't have to change my setup, and I like that in a broadhead, right? I shoot an elk with a with with, with a G five, right? I can shoot a turkey with it. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. I can just slap that sucker on there and roll. But I will tell you this: I went to a broadhead for turkey season. It's got blades, three blades. And you, they actually got a little screw in them. You can replace the blades if they break. The ferrule's got like a cone-shaped nose. And that's the greatest turkey broadhead I've ever shot. And that thing is damn effective and damn accurate. With turkey season right around the corner, I mean, guys are already sending me pictures. It's making me sick. I can't wait to get back out there and start that season. That's one of my favorites. Magnus, Magnus Bullhead. Bullhead, yeah, it's a Magnus, bullhead. I, Magnus I Bullhead, that. yep. Yeah, I, I tell you, know, you know what I love about him? You shoot him into a pillow. Does absolutely no damage. You, so you can really shoot these things and tune them to your bow. And I mean, I'm taking 40 yard shots and knocking necks, you know. So, you know, that, and by the way, I, I don't do that, you know, <laughs> typically, but um, these things fly true. You can replace the, the you know, the, the, the ferrule. That thing's never going to break on you. I've, I've, I've thrown them through all the rock and everything and all the ledge out here in the Northeast. Um, you can replace the blades, you know, in five, 10 seconds. I mean, it's, it's a great broadhead. It, it's it's durable. They fly true, and they are highly effective. Very cool. Yeah, Matt, I'm no small guy myself, and and you know you're you're I'm assuming you're six three ish, 
I, I don't know what you weigh, but uh, you're you're a big fella. What what's your preference far as as hunting style? Ground blind, tree stand, hang on. What what's your preference? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a lock on guy, and I want to be at least twenty um, because you know at six five, and I'm still pushing the 300, 305 barrier. You know, I got I got a lot of things going against me, and, and especially if we're filming or doing something else. You know, it's uh you know there's a, there's a big grizzly bear up there, and they typically can find you unless you can get up high enough and you know, so I like to get up high. I love, I mean, I, I love hanging sets. Um, I, I may get as much enjoyment, you know, going out and finding the perfect setup. And, you know, that to me, that's, uh, man, that, that, that's as rewarding hands down as the actual hunt. So, um, you know, ground blinds, not a big fan of them. Um, I don't feel like I'm actually hunting. I do have, you know, some great elevated, you know, tower blinds and things of that nature. And, and man, they are a great tool to utilize for different purposes and in different areas and different setups. But you know, for me, man, I want to be on. I want to. I want to get a lock on up there. You know, as high as I can get it, and uh, you know, be able to get a full view of what I'm looking at. Right on. So let's get in. We, we we've checked in your gear as far as bow and tree stand. What what kind of camouflage are you wearing these days? You know, I I'll tell you. During the turkey season, I, I, I'm a I'm a mossy oak kind of guy. Um, you know, that's just always been, obsession's been my pattern. I mean, it's just, you know, kind of what I've always worn, um, you know, real tree during the, during the whitetail season. And, uh, it just depends on where I'm at and, and what pattern I'm going with. Um, you know, Under Armour's got a great, you know, Western, uh, pattern that, that I, I like a lot when I'm out West. Um, you know, but again, I tell you, man, when I grew up, I didn't, I wasn't a camo guy. I was a Carhartt. So, you know, right. right. What that, Whatever that pattern is, that that I'll tell you, man, I've seen too many guys pull out much bigger deer on a regular basis than I ever have, and that's been their pattern, so I think it works. Right, right on. Sure, yeah, no doubt about it. So we got into your gear and what you wear and, and what, what you got going as far as bow and tree stand and, and camo patterns, and let's get into a memorable hunt. And, and I want you to tell us from the from the beginning kind of where we're going and what time of year it was and kind of if you can refer to a date and get into a memorable hunt, and I'll kind of walk through it with you. Yeah, you know, I guess the first one that comes to mind is one that was a full 360. Let's see here. We are in 2017, so this is 1650. In 2014, we are at the E3 Ranch in Kansas, Missouri, Kansas and Missouri. It's Adam LaRoche's property. Uh, for any of those guys that have, you know, watched Buck Commander or seen any of those episodes, you've seen his ground. It's man, it's he's managed that to the nth degree, and it's um, it's always a fun hunt when we get together out there. And we were uh, in a set one morning, a little bit of a valley that cut through um, with some with some good timber, a um, little bit of a swamp to the south of us, and to the north of us was a ridge that came off of some tillable ground that was up top and we also had tillable ground to the south of us as well and we were in kind of a natural funnel we were sitting just off of a uh, mowed path and we we had it all figured out we knew that in the morning these deer were going to come from basically you know the the i say the southeast and they were going to work their way you know north and west right and uh we're up there and it was kind of it was kind of uh warm when we first got up and I remember taking off my jacket, and I want to say this is early November. So peak conditions, you know, for the most part, a little bit warm. Uh, definitely the rut was was happening. It wasn't full tilt. 
And I can remember having a good feeling about that morning. And I'm kind of chatting with the camera guy. And uh, as I'm turned back over my left shoulder talking to him, the one place that we knew a deer we never had to worry about looking at, uh, I can see a hor- I can see horns coming through the, the, the woods. And he's coming off that ridge. And I, and I remember telling him, I said, hey, man, I think we got a shooter coming. And, of course, he's looking the way I'm kind of looking, but he's not seeing what I'm seeing. And sure enough, you know, he locks on it and he, and he can zoom in. And, of course, he's like, man, it's definitely a shooter. And as, that's, as that deer is coming, I had an opportunity to shoot him before he got out in front of me. Uh, but there was a couple twigs, and I knew where he was going. He was going to be broadside right in the sweet spot, right? So I'm going to let this thing develop. And as I'm watching this deer, it dawns on me that this is the nine of diamonds. This is a deer that Adam LaRoche had been watching for probably three seasons. And he had been hunting that deer as hard as anybody could hunt a deer for that season. And here that sucker is in a place that he should have never come from because we got all the answers, right? And he is going to be standing at 30 yards. And that son of a gun comes out and stands at 33 yards, basically, on the dot. Wow. And is perfectly broadside, doesn't have a care in the world. <laughs> so before I, before, I tell you, before I finish this one, let me just tell you the critical error that one makes at times, and you kill yourself reliving these moments. Because <laughs> this, this is not a feel-good story until the very end. So that deer came over my left shoulder. I had turned my body talking to my camera guy. Like a lot of guys, you don't want to screw it up, so you tend to do far less than what you know you can do in those moments. And instead of getting my feet turned the other way, I just twisted my upper body. That was mistake number one. Uh, form is everything, as every every guy knows that shoots anything. So not that you can't make the shot. You, hell, you make it probably eight or seven or eight times out of ten every time, right where you want it. But I didn't turn my feet. That was my first mistake. And twisted my upper body. I drew down on him. Now, my second mistake came in the fact that this deer had rubbed out a spot or had been you know, stuck by another buck or whatever happened. He had a bit, he had a bald spot just north of the kill zone and it was plain as day. And I think subconsciously I must have focused on that because when I released that arrow center punched that bald spot. Ah, gotcha. And the minute I released that arrow, I knew that sucker was high. I mean, I'm on film saying hi as it's impacting. I'm, you know, what, it's one of them moments that, you know, you, you'll never get back and you, you just pray to God works out. So we watched the film. I mean, that, that deer, when I hit him, he took off like a scalded dog. I can see he's carrying the arrow, but I got a, you know, I'm shooting a full shaft and it's got a, a good penetration, but it's sticking out both sides. And uh, he runs probably 40 yards, stops, and then kind of walks off into the timber down through that swamp. Mm-hmm. So, of course, you know, we, we, we replay the video four million times. We waited probably two hours, got out of the stand about 1030, went back into camp, hemmed and hauled over it all day, decided not to go in that night, went back the next morning with an army. And, you know, of course, Adam's my biggest fan at this point. He wants this deer dead um, and he wants to get his hands on it. Right. 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 So we get to the spot where we last saw him and we got some blood. It's not great. We trail him all the way through the swamp. We get to the other side. We come up through the thickest, gnarliest hedge apple junk, you know, just trash cedars that you could possibly come through. And we find where he bedded down. And he was losing it on both sides. But when that sucker got up, like a lot of stories in, man, there was not one drop. And uh, and we feel as though we we bumped him. We saw some horns running. We didn't know whose they were, right? I mean, 
Right. But it wasn't far after we found where he bedded. And uh, that, for me, was the end of the story. Now, that same afternoon, that, that afternoon, after looking forever, we had to jump on a plane. We did a USO tour uh, with Willie and his brother, Jeb, and a whole bunch of guys. Man, it was unbelievable experience over in Afghanistan and uh, Greece and mm. Italy and Germany. And, man, it was crazy. But the whole time, I just couldn't get that hunt out of my mind. Fast forward, I believe it was two seasons later, he, Adam killed that deer. And, and finally put that story to rest, which they got that on tape. And that was a man. That was just a relief for me. He wasn't he wasn't what he was when I stuck him. But uh, he was still a heck of a deer. And and uh, that hunt, I'll never forget. That's crazy. With a good ending. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'll tell you, man, in my mind, that deer was dead. But that, that yeah. you know, you know how that works out. Oh, yeah. No, it just makes for, uh, you know, that that's that's bow hunting for sure. Yes, it is. It definitely is. Very cool. Excellent story. All right, Matt, I've got 10 rapid-fire questions for you. And I did not prep you for these, so hope you're ready. They, they usually come out better when I don't prep you for these anyway. Is there a scoring system? Yeah, I'm <laughs> going to keep score over here, so I know you're a competitive guy, and I'll let you know what your score is at the end. All right, let's do it. All right. What's your number one hunting tip of all time? Uh, uh, oh, my goodness. Uh, I, n- none. You know what? Go out there, live it up, do it how you do it, and love every second of it. I got I got nothing I can impart on anybody um, other than, you know, you got to love it. That's it. All right. Very cool. We have these things as hunters that we like to hunt with, they're, whether they're good luck charms or meaningful items, or maybe they actually make you a better hunter. I don't know what that is, but what's that one thing for you, other than your, your weapon, what's that one thing for you that you have to hunt with? Uh, I got a release that... For some reason, whenever I I've got a million releases, but I've got one release in particular. If it's not with me, I, I really honestly don't feel confident going out in the woods, and it's the dumbest thing in the world. I'm not a superstitious guy, but for me, it's a release, man. It's something about that release that brings me good luck. Yep, gotcha. All right, what's your biggest pet peeve in life? <laughs> <laughs> How much time we got? This is only one response. You get one. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, my biggest pet peeve would be, um, you know, pe- people, uh, in, in a way, but, uh, more, more to the point, um, there, there's doers and then there's talkers, uh, you know, I, I like doers. I've had enough of the talkers. Mm, gotcha. I like that. That's a very good answer. All right. You, how old are you today, Matt? 38. You're 38. All right. Knowing what you know today about life in general, what would you tell to the 16 year old Matt? Put put more time in 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 the outdoors. Man, I, honestly, I, I was I loved the outdoors growing up, but man, I missed a lot of opportunities being an idiot. If you're a young person today, with the resources that are out there and the things that you can get into and do through the outdoors, man, there's no better time to grow up and enjoy the outdoors than right now. Very cool. All right, you meet a stranger at a hunting convention somewhere in the world, and they strike up a conversation with you. They ask you what you do for a living. What do you say? <laughs> self-employed self-employed all right and that's where it ends that's the end of the conversation yeah yeah hopefully (laughs) until we know each other (laughs) gotcha all right what did you have for breakfast this morning oh man i had a uh this is terrible and i don't usually do this but i had an everything bagel with strawberry cream cheese man that makes me soft (laughs) and i did splurge for a coffee roll 
at the Dunkin' Donuts drive-thru, and I and I typically don't do that because I don't need another one of those. <laughs> gotcha. Strawberry cream cheese on an everything bagel. That's an, that's the first time we've ever had that answer. I'll have to note that down. Very cool. All right. What? Uh, okay. You get your own billboard on the side of a highway. It could be anywhere. Be in Massachusetts, wherever. It's a blank canvas. What would you put on it? Every incriminating photo that I've got of people that other people would like to see. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. I don't know. I've, I've, I've collected a lot of good moments from uh, over the years, and uh, at some point, it'd be it'd be nice to release those. And I guess if you're going to do it, a billboard would be as good as any place, right? Excellent. And and I would assume they would they might involve some of your old teammates. Oh, for a hundred percent, man. Excellent. Yes, sir. Very cool. All right. If I say the word successful to you, who's the first person that pops into your head and why? Oh, the first person that pops into my mind. Man, uh, you know, I've got I've got a friend of mine who I, I've, I've been fortunate enough to see him, you know, go through some amazing things in life. You know, he's a businessman. You know, he's a guy that, you know, picked himself up from the very beginning and did it the hard way. So those are the kind of people I like, man. You know, I really do. I got a, I got a friend of mine back in, in, in Ohio that, you know, we, we reclaim a lot of old barns and he'd be the other guy that, man, I just, I learned so much from these guys. They're, they're great teachers. They're great mentors. And, uh, when, when I think of these guys and these guys aren't, you know, big name guys, but they've done well for themselves and uh, they put everything into every day and they love what they do. I mean, to me, that's, that's the epitome of success. It doesn't have to do with, you know, bank accounts or notoriety or any of that stuff, man. I, I get a kick out of being around people that love life and attack it every day. That's awesome. I love that answer. All right. Uh, what's a typical day in your life look like? Man, you know what? I, I like to get up early. Um, you know, I like to get in my office and try to get a, a good jump on things before uh, I start fielding phone calls. And then, you know, I'm managing projects and, uh, you know, working on things with different companies and, and such that we've started and trying to line up hunts. And I, you know, I've got the ADD approach to life. You know, you don't just open up one door, you open about 50 at one time. So you always got something you can dip in and out of. And I mean, I like to stay busy, you know, um, each and every day and, and, uh, line things up and then knock them down. Very cool. All right. And what is a typical deer hunting day in your life look like? <laughs> well, <laughs> once, once I get the, uh, the okay from the mothership, man, I tell you, uh, for me, uh, let's uh, I'll, go, I'll go back to I did go home for the muzzleloader season in January in Ohio. I believe it was the fifth through the or the seventh through the tenth. I can't remember, but it was something around those days. And uh, you know the the typical deer hunt for me, man, it's it's get out really early, get situated, get settled, try not to freeze to death or you know fall asleep, you know before the action starts, and then um, you know sit all. Day. I, I love sitting all day, man. I like to ride the hole and you know, stay in it from start to finish and get out sore, but, you know, with a lot of great memories and a lot of things to put on the rewind when I get back into camp and then eat like hell and enjoy a few beers before doing it all over again. Very, very cool. All right. That's 10, Matt. You did great. I'm going to give you a hundred percent. So you got an A plus. Thank God. All right. Let me know where I'm on the leaderboard. <laughs> um, you're, you're, you're leading the pack right now. All right. Feel good about this. Yep. Yeah. You're doing well. All right. So that, that's fantastic, Matt. And thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell us where we can find out more about you? You know, you mentioned your website, um, but could you give us that again, where, where we can reach out social media, uh, websites, phone numbers, if they want to get more involved with your foundation or anything else you got going on? Yeah, man. We so mattlight72.com, um, you know, you can find pretty much everything you need there. I mean, links to uh, 
you know, the social media end of it, I've, I've never been on social media and, and, and maybe that's not a good thing to say, but I do, you know, work closely with all of our people and I ask them to put things out there on my behalf. Um, but, um, you know, we got a lot of great information about the, the Light Foundation, you know, the work that we do, ways that you can contact me through, you know, our network and our group. You know, we've got a great vodka company, Keel Vodka, for those that want a nice, uh, light, refreshing, I won't do the whole spiel, but it's a it's a great alternative to beer and uh, it's a good healthy alternative. So we're we're rolling out 10 new states this year. So you can check out Kiel Vodka and we got a lot of cool events and things coming up with that. And uh, and then, you know, really, you know, through through Buck Commander and some of those other things, um, you know, that I've been involved with and some of the great people I work with, uh, you know, I, I think there's some content and things out there. But definitely check out MattLight72.com and and any information about the foundation, the work we do in our camps and things of that nature, how to volunteer, jump in. If, if you're so inclined, we'd love to have you. Very, very cool. Excellent, Matt. Matt, it's been a pleasure and an absolute honor. And you know, I'm a big Patriots fan from way back, so it's been, it's been uh, priceless for me. And thank you for your insights into the hunting world and sharing uh, your life story with us. It's stuff that I don't think a lot of people get to hear sometimes, and uh, I think our audience is going to eat it up. Well, listen, man, I, I tell you, it's been fun, and uh, I wish you guys a, uh, a great 2017. It's hard to believe that the, uh, the spring season is upon us, and uh, if, if I'm like everybody else, then I'm sure I'm probably on the, on the low end of the spectrum, but for all your listeners uh, gearing up for all your hunts and everything you're lining up here for this season, I wish you, wish you guys all the best, continued success, shoot straight, have fun, and enjoy every minute of it, man. Uh, that was that was quite a quite a talk with Matt. He's a, he's a very interesting guy, very upbeat, high energy, and I really like what he's got going on with his foundation. I'm hoping to get involved with that some more and, and help him promote what's going on through our media channels and what we've developed here at the Big Buck Registry. And uh, hoping that we can get down to his camp and it's right right near where you live. And I was amazed at how many things you two knew about because you you both dealt with it growing up. Right. It's, it's very unique to talk to somebody that's uh, farm and family life related. And I know the area where he's from and, you know, he knows the general area where I'm from. It, uh, it's pretty, pretty cool. It, it was, it brought back a memory of when we were bear hunting with Greg this past season. And it, he, had, Matt had mentioned how he got strong working on the farm, working with concrete, uh, doing haying and all that stuff. And, when, you know, we had just finished the hunt. We'd come up over the hill and you just decided for whatever reason to grab me and lift me up over your head with your arm. And, I, and it blew my mind how strong you really are when it comes down to it. And I'm like, that guy just picked me up. A 240-pound male picked me up with one arm. I was like, holy smokes. I thought I was a strong guy. I thought I, I, how you did that, I have no idea. But it must have something to do with your the strength that you developed on the farm like Mar- like Matt did. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's not really a bunch of weightlifting or anything like that, but... Uh... You know, it just it seems like every day I'm around something that's heavy, and you know, for instance, I you know threw about 20 bells of straw today. You know, it's, the straw's not real heavy, but it's just a physical activity, and you know, I just grab them, a bale in each hand, and threw them up in the mound out of my truck. Dusty, do we have a chubby tines tip of the week? Yeah, it's something that uh, you know. It, the Chubby Tines Tip of the Week is sponsored by Morse's Sporting Goods. Firearms, use firearms, bows, use bows. Located at 85 Kentucky Falls Road in Hillsborough, New Hampshire. Give Jim a call at 603-464-3444, morsessportinggoods.com. Your dollars go further in New Hampshire. There's no sales tax. Morse's Sporting Goods. The, the youth that's coming up and going to be hunters future 
conservationists and you know, land stewardess and managers of the herd, we got to take time and, and, and educate them. And right now is a time where you're starting to think about getting stuff set up for the spring and summer months for your, your deer herd as far as food plots and all that. Well, you know, take time and, and get a youth to participate with you, not only from, from the beginning. You know, a lot of people just show them the hunting aspect of it. They really don't show them how they go out to the woods and prep the stand locations and all, and all that. There's a lot more to it than just, you know, going bow hunting or going shotgun or rifle hunting. You, you need to get involved if you're ordering seed for your for your food plots or you're ordering fertilizer for your food plots or even if you're doing uh, some kind of, uh, you know, native grass vegetation type uh area for the for the bedding or deer herd uh, habitat you know get involved when it comes to how do you order it how do you prep the order that you're putting in at your local co-op or wherever you order your seed from or seed rep or whoever it is but you know get get them the either one right along with you when you go there to place your order or have them around when you make the phone call and, and let them listen to how you discuss to that person of what you need and, and what you got going if you're going to pull soil samples and and, uh, you know, do some soil preparation, discing, field cultivating, uh, you know, running a, a three-point tiller through your food plots. Get them out there. If nothing else, let them stand on the sidelines and, and get that visual education. That way, when they, they start uh, getting a little older and they're able to do things on their own, that they have a general idea of how it all works. And, and, and that's something that uh, if we all participate in taking a couple youth hunters out to the woods and showing them step-by-step step how it all works, it'll you know better their odds of being more successful in land conservation and building habitat and uh, prepping for the season. I love that. I love that tip. That's It's always in the back of my head. You know, I'm always trying to, well, you know, what is this show all about? What is it that we're trying to accomplish? And I think ultimately we try to keep people going into the woods that have already gone there by giving them some motivation and letting them know that, you know, there there are Everybody is out there, they're hunting, and it's uh, sharing their experiences with them. And then what they're the people that that uh, are kind of on the fence, the people that, that you know, want to do some hunting. Hopefully we're inspiring them. And then as this medium grows into the space where it's growing, where all the younger folks are hanging out, well, you know, the, the millennials, whether it's on all the social media. And naturally, I'm not a social media guy, but I recognize the importance of where people are hanging out who are part of that younger generation we're trying to get them into hunting itself and get outside and enjoy all the aspects that hunting brings whether it's it's bonding or camaraderie or enjoying nature or conservation whatever it is all all i've ever seen from hunting is good now i'm hoping that somehow some way this show reaches those people uh, in all facets the the older folks the people that are kind of on the fence the people that go hunting every day just need a little more inspiration or the younger people that's what this show is really all about. And I did some deep thinking over the last couple of weeks about what this show really means. Yeah, for sure. You know, you just got to get them involved and get them away from the, the gaming systems or the iPhones or whatever they're involved with. Get them out to the outdoors and, and show them the way. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, Dusty, this has been a another fantastic show. Enjoyed hanging out with Matt. And where can we find you when you're not hanging out on the mic with me? Well, you can shoot me an email, dusty at bigbuckregistry.com. You can look me up on Facebook, Chubby Tines Outdoors, at Chasing Antler on Instagram and Twitter. 
Jay, where can the people reach out to you when you're not on the mic? Very cool. Yes, you can reach me by emailing me first and foremost, Jay at BigBuckRegistry.com. You can come over to the Enjoying the Crowd over at the Facebook page if you're into social media. Uh, there are about 250,000 plus diehard deer hunting fans hanging out over there, and that's BigBuckRegistry.com forward slash Facebook. We also have an Instagram, uh, Twitter. We have a Google Plus account and a YouTube account. And if you'd like to listen to this show, uh, you can always listen to it on iTunes. And if you are listening to it on iTunes, would you please subscribe and review? And you can, if you subscribe, you'll get this show delivered with notification every single week as the new show comes out. And if you want, you can go to YouTube and actually not only see the videos we've done for other things, but you can actually get a, a video recording of the audio and actually listen to the show on YouTube now where it gets automatically transcribed into a video so you can hear this entire show. You can also find us on Stitcher and Blueberry, and I think that's about it for where you can listen to the show. And Dusty, I think it's uh, I think that's a wrap. I'm Dusty Phillips. And I'm Jay Scott. And this is the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. We'll see you next week. Can't wait.